0: Today. Our sermon today is going to come uh, from Isaiah chapter 60. So if you would, uh, go ahead and uh, turn there. And as you're turning there, I want to take a moment just to kind of ask you to recall a memory. Uh, Have you ever encountered meeting a famous person before? Uh, I bet most of us, or if not all of us, can probably either have met someone, or we, got, we saw a famous person in public, or we know, we've heard a story from someone we know who, who met a famous person, and we got to hear their kind of their exciting story about it. Uh, when I was a little kid, uh, we went to uh, Baton Rouge, Louisiana for a big family wedding. Was, they had to stay in this really nice hotel, and, uh, and John Goodman was down in the hotel bar lobby area, uh, you know, some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. Uh, and uh, for me as a little kid, even I knew who he was because he was in a lot of, you know, kid family-friendly movies. And, uh, and so I knew exactly who he was. So we're standing there with my cousin and my dad. And, you know, cell phones weren't quite the thing yet, right? They were still the bag phones. And some of you know what I'm talking about. Uh, but we had the wind-up cameras, right? Uh, and so we had one, and we were trying to figure out how can we we, we kind of took his picture from afar, uh, and we figured out how could we get his autograph. And so we went and grabbed a napkin and asked the hotel clerk for a, uh, for a pen. And so we're standing there trying to figure out how to get to him. Well, there's this really big dude wearing a big black leather jacket and this one of those, um, I can't remember what they're, they're called, but the, the little fancy hats that you see a lot in like, like the big cities like New York. And so we were trying to make our way toward him, and he saw us, and he kind of gave us one of these. And was like, mm-mm. <laughs> And so, so we were like, okay, that was our cue. And you could tell John Goodman was dressed in a way where he was trying to not look like John Goodman, right? And so, so but it didn't stop us from being excited. It didn't stop us from running back to our hotel room and telling everybody about, oh, yeah, we almost met John Goodman today. And uh, even at the wedding reception, you know, the, the poor, poor bride, my cousin, you know, she, you know, we kind of, sorry, it's not about you today. It's about how we almost met John Goodman. That's the, that's the headline. So, but uh, why am I sharing all this with you? Well, in our sermon, for our sermon today, and really for us as Christians, we have encountered the, one of the most famous people of all time. And of course, that's Jesus. Now, that sounds real cheesy for me to say, but, but honestly, even in the secular world, Jesus is considered one of the most famous historical people of all time. I mean, certainly the most famous religious person, and the person with the most, uh, you know, the all-time best-selling book, the Bible. Today remains the all-time bestseller uh, in the entire world. And so, what? But what makes our encounter with him even more amazing? It's not, it's not a story about how we almost got to meet right, a famous person, but rather we've encountered him in such a way to where he's changed our hearts and he's changed our lives forever and he's not like some far off celebrity that we that we you know that we get to hope we see one day soon or in terms of of you know like as opposed to how we get to pray to him daily but rather it's personal we celebrate him this christmas season as the god who came down in the flesh as a baby wrapped in a manger as we sing already and he's someone really who knew us before we even really knew him but yet we don't really get excited about Jesus. We don't really get excited about telling people about the famous person that we encountered who changed our lives forever. And there's certainly times in our lives where we don't really live as if our encounter with Jesus has made a difference in our daily lives. We worship him on Sundays. We worship him here now in the anticipation of his arrival for this Christmas season, but do our daily lives really reflect How he's changed us. Does our daily lives really reflect his glory and his goodness in us? Or are we living as nothing's really even changed? So we're gonna look at how God changes our hearts today and how God reflects his glory in our own very lives. And so we're gonna be in Isaiah, we're gonna be in uh, verses uh, one through three. So if you're not there, uh, go ahead and turn there on your Bibles or turn there on your Bible app. Um, And as you're turning there, I want to give you a little bit of background, Isaiah 61 through 3, because I want you to understand what's happening here, because we're kind of coming up near the end of, a, of, a, of a one heck of a story. The first half of the book of Isaiah is all about Israel's darkness. As a result of Israel's persistent and willful sins and idols and disobedience towards God, God has brought judgment against them. And God has led them out of, out of Israel and into exile. At this point, before we get to Isaiah 60, all seems hopeless and lost for Israel. And as we're going to see here in a moment, though, there's going to be a shift. Because we see God going from giving his righteousness, uh, righteous judgment to Israel to God suddenly showing them mercy and giving them hope for their future. God's gonna give his people a life-changing encounter that's gonna change their hearts for, and in the hearts of generations to come. So to honor God in the reading of his word, if you're willing and if you're able, would you please stand? as so we read Isaiah chapter 60, verses one through three. 60, one through three says this. Arise and shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For behold, darkness shall cover the earth, and thick darkness the peoples. But the Lord will rise upon you, and his glory will be seen upon you. And nations shall come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your rising. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your word, because your word, Father, it is a light to us, especially when we were in the darkness, Lord. Father, your word today speaks to us. And Lord, even though we may not understand what this text means right now in this moment, Lord, we know, God, that your Holy Spirit works in ways that you will speak to our hearts. God, you will apply this word to your lives. So we ask that you would do that now. Father, would you cast me away? And Lord, would you speak to your people, including me, Who needs to hear this today? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. The title of our sermon today is called Our Call to Shine. So, again, we're asking the question how does God change our hearts and reflect His glory in our lives? Well, the first point here is that God revitalizes the hearts of His people. Let's look back here again in verse one, let's reread it one more time. Uh, verse one says, arise and shine for your light has come and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. Now, the first thing we need to understand about reading verse one here is that there's a syntax here. We see what's called an imperative command followed by the indicative or the, or, or the reason why. God gives this command. He tells his people, arise and shine. Well, why? Why should we rise and shine? Because the light has come and the glory of the Lord has has risen upon you. So what, okay, well, what exactly does this mean? Well, as we've mentioned, I'm going to spell it out a little bit more. Israel's in a place of darkness. They have failed to live for God. They have failed to worship him. They have failed to keep their hearts from false gods and false idols. And rather than living in the promised land and close to where God dwells with them in the temple, their lives have been completely uprooted. And they live in a foreign and strange land where God definitely does not dwell. Quite simply, they're completely lost. They're uncomfortable. They're suffering. And they are far from God. Really, we might say it like this, is that they just want to go home and go back to when life was good with God. Can anyone here today relate to this, of feeling lost, feeling lost? Distant, feeling unsettled in your life, feeling like something's just not right. And even though Israel's in a place of darkness because of their own undoing, God's the one who shows up with the rescue. I'm going to say this again. Let's not miss this. Hear me carefully. Israel abandoned God. Israel is the one who's gotten themselves into this mess. But God is the one providing the rescue. And he's not just coming to rescue them from exile. He's not just coming to rescue them from their circumstances, but he's coming to rescue them from the very conditions of their heart. Rather than God leaving them in the darkness, which he could do justly, God is coming back to win their hearts for all eternity. So we ask the question, what exactly is this plan of glory and light look like? It's Jesus. The glory and the light of God resides in Christ, in Christ's coming. Let's let's reread verse 1 like this. The glory of the Lord Jesus has risen upon you. Oh, excuse me, let me say that again. Arise and shine, for Jesus has come. The glory of the Lord Jesus has risen upon you. Now, doesn't that sound like Christmas? It's exactly what we celebrate. Jesus steps out of the glorious place of heaven, and he's come down to our world of darkness, and he brings us hope. God rescues us. God rescues his people by sending his son to come and to die and to rise again, that we, too, may rise with him into a new life for all of eternity. The hearts returned from exile and is forever in the presence and the glory of God. Ephesians 5, 14 puts it like this. It says, Awake, O sleeper, and rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Christ awakens those who are spiritually dead and raises them up to his glory. He dwells in our hearts through the Holy Spirit so that he is always with us. Theologian Tom Fuller is credited with the phrase, it is lightest, or excuse me, it is darkest before dawn. Now, if you're like me, you kind of just haphazardly thought that what he was saying was some sort of observation that the darkest time of night is right before the sun rises. But of course, scientifically, and I'm ashamed to say I didn't really figure this out until a couple years ago as a 37-year-old male, that, <laughs> that that's not actually accurate, right? Right? But what Fuller really meant is that even in the worst circumstances, when all seems lost and hopeless, when all seems dark, Christ shines hope in your life. When we are in Christ, when we follow him, he is faithful to never leave us. He is faithful to never forsake us. Even in our worst days, we will never walk in darkness when we are fully, when we fully depend and trust on Christ alone. He will always be the light that guides our hearts and guides our lives. So we need to ask ourselves this, though: is what part of our lives still seem dark and may even seem hopeless? What part of our lives are we still placing hope in the wrong things or, or, or trying to fix things ourselves until surrendering them over to God? Where do we need Christ? to revitalize our hearts. Israel's desperation for rescue is the result of their turning their hearts from God, trying to do things in their own limited ability, in their own skewed wisdom, and their flawed humanity. They arrogantly thought that they could be God's people without keeping God at the center of their own hearts. And we too are guilty of having places in our hearts and our lives where we push God out, where we exile him, where we don't invite him in. So are we willing to go before God and say, God, (laughs) this is my mess. This part of me is a mess, and I can't fix it on my own. I've tried, and I need you to make it right and to make it whole again. And listen, I don't say any of this today as someone who's got it all right and got it all figured out. I stand with you today as a man who, has struggled, who struggles with my own sin. I've been through a divorce. Uh, I've been at the side of my grandfather, my father, and my stepfather, all till their dying breaths. There are certainly parts in my own life that needs the hope that's only found in Christ and Christ alone, and only he can light up those darkest parts of my own life. So how else does Christ, or does God change our hearts? So we said first he revitalizes the hearts of his people. But secondly, point number two is that God redeems the hearts of his people. Let's look back here at verse two. Verse two says, For behold, darkness shall cover the earth, and keep, I'm sorry, darkness shall cover the earth, and deep darkness covers the people. But the Lord will arise upon you. And his glory will be seen upon you. So God's word is telling us that not only does he, does he save us from broken hearted condition, but he also permanently changes us. We've already kind of started talking about this some already, but we're going to take a much closer look at it here in a moment. So bear with me if you feel like there's some overlap or some repetition between the meanings of verses 1 and verses 2, okay? But back to verse 2, let's take a note of the status of the whole earth here. It's described as darkness covers the earth and deep darkness covers the people. So in studying this myself, I asked the question, well, why the repetition of darkness twice? Because the author is trying to get us to understand that the earth is covered in evil and that the reason that the earth is covered in evil is because of what's inside of people's hearts. No nation, including God's people, is following, their, is following God. Because their hearts run deep with evil. Thankfully, the story of humanity doesn't end there. We see the sudden shift in the narrative, but the Lord will rise upon you and his glory will be seen upon you. God knows that nothing good can come from the people on earth. He knows nothing good can be generated from darkened and dead hearts. The only way for his love for his people and for his goodness and for his glory to prevail in their hearts is if he graciously provides it himself. And God does just that by sending his son Jesus to redeem the hearts of lost people. I wish I could stand before you today and provide you with a list of all the ways that God demonstrates his gracious love and his glory through Christ, but we would probably be here all day. Uh, maybe that can be next year's Christmas Eve sermon. But, but I'll leave it at this. Romans 5.20 says it like this. But where sin increased, right? Where evil increased, where hearts were filled with evil, grace abounded all the more. Although our hearts may run deep with sin, God's grace runs even deeper. And because of his grace to us through Christ, his glory shines in our hearts. Romans 5.8 also says it like this, but God demonstrated his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Christ." redeems us, and in doing so, God can shine his glory through us and into our lives. You remember me a few moments ago talking about the phrase darkness before dawn, but I've always loved things in nature like sunrises. For me, it's, sunrises uh, is just this beautiful way of, of, of this transition from darkness uh, to light in the morning. And, uh, and listen, having, uh, having a four-year-old son in a one-and-a-half-year-old daughter, you get up pretty early and see a lot of sunrises, whether you wanted to or not. But sunrises are just a reminder of God's majesty and God's glory. Take a look at this first picture here. I hope you can see this. Uh, but, but this picture was actually taken by uh, one of our church members at Metro, Stephanie Schlei. She, and kudos to her, gets up early and goes all the way down to the beach and, uh, and takes pictures of sunrises. So, but, but take a look at this picture. You can see here that the sun is just starting to rise above the horizon. And you can even kind of see that there's just beams of sunlight just trying to shoot through the dark clouds, right? You see that, right? And you can tell that, there's, that morning is coming, that morning is, is on the way, right? But then take a look at the next picture. This next picture was not even five minutes later. There's, st- there's even more sunlight coming through. And the sun is even more apparent, though the clouds and the darkness, it still seems like they're there. You can even tell uh, more of the outline of of where the ocean starts and stops there. And you can even see that there's footprints there in the sand because of the light. Everything in this picture is just a reflection of the glory of the sun. Everything that was once in darkness is now in light. Thanks to the sun coming up. So what am I getting at all of this? Why am I showing you these pictures? Because the reality is, is when we encounter Christ and his light shines in us, it changes us. We are no longer going back to the old ways in which we once lived, when we once walked in darkness. Remember, we read the verses from Ephesians where it said, Awake, O sleeper, and rise for the dead, and Christ will shine on you. I don't have a slide for you this, but but listen to what the verses say just before that. For you were once in darkness, but now you are in light, the light of the Lord. Live as children of the light, for the fruit of the light consists in all goodness and righteousness and truth, and find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. It is shameful to even mention what the disobedient do in secret, but everything... Exposed by the light becomes visible, and everything that is illuminated becomes a light. That is why it is says, Wake up, sleeper, and rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. God revitalizes our hearts, God redeems our hearts and our lives so that we are permanently changed for His glory. We are called as followers of Christ to walk in the light not to walk into things that lead us back towards darkness. We've already seen how that resulted for Israel. We all have imperfections. We all have sins and things that we struggle with. I mean, I know I certainly do. But the good news of the gospel, the good news of Christ's arrival as we celebrate him on Christmas is that when when we are in Christ, we are redeemed and we have a victory over sin and over death, over the darkness that we're talking about. When we fall short of God's glory, we don't have to run from God in shame. But instead, we get to run to him. And as the Bible tells us, 1 John, that when we go before him, we will always find forgiveness. We will always find healing. We will always find the strength to persevere against trials and the strength to persevere and resist sin. Because remember, when God shines his glory on you, as we saw with the sun rising, it's not to condemn you. It's not to bring us to condemnation, but to bring us in to his light and into his glory, and closer to him, so that he can continue to redeem us. And in his glory, our lives serve as a testimony to the whole world of how loving and how gracious and how merciful God really is. This Christmas Christmas season, don't settle in the darkness because there's nothing there for us anymore. Allow Christ to redeem our hearts and our lives so that he can use us for his glory. Which brings us to our last point, and this is this is a shorter point here. Point number three is that God reorders the hearts of his people. So God not only revitalizes and redeems us for his glory, but God also reorders our lives in such a way that he uses us for his glory. Let's pick back up here in verses 2 and into verse 3 as well, which says this, But the Lord will rise upon you, and his glory will be seen upon you. And nations shall come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your rising. These verses, along with the rest of Isaiah 60 that we've read today, make, make makes our purpose on this earth clear. God is calling us out of darkness into his light so that we can reflect his glory to those who are still in darkness. And notice the extent of God's reach here according to these verses. Kings and nations. We see this in the Christmas story when when there's three magi that come to visit Jesus as a very young child. We also see this in the missionary work of Paul and the other apostles in the Bible. And I don't know about you, but sometimes when I, when I hear that God wants to use me for great things and I see these characters in the Bible, I fall into this trap of thinking, who am I? What, what could I possibly do compared to Peter or Paul or Jesus himself? There's no way I could live up to the standard of these biblical characters have set. And the short answer is, honestly, that's right. In our own thinking, in our own efforts, in our own limitations, we will always fall short of God's glory. But yet, God used ordinary men and ordinary women to do extraordinary things for his kingdom. Let me remind you of of a couple things. Andrew, Peter, James, and John were but stinky fishermen. (laughs) Matthew was a despised tax collector, Simon, Simon was a zealot who engaged in politics. And of course, Paul was a tent maker. We also see other professions in the New Testament of how God used builders, shepherds, sellers of clothes, farmers, seamstresses, and silversmiths. There was nothing glorious about any of these people or their professions or what they did in life, and yet God used them all to do big things for his kingdom. There's a story here that I want to share with you. It's about a gentleman who was one day walking in the east end of the city of Glasgow, and the streets were so narrow and the houses were so high that often little direct sunlight would shine down on the houses and reach them on all sides of the house. The gentleman one day as he was walking noticed that there was a ragged, barefooted boy with a broken piece of mirror uh, that he was pointing it at one side of, of a particular house, and so the, 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 the man kind of saw this and became interested and asked the boy, what are you doing exactly? And the boy said, well, that window up there, that's my little brother's room. And a long time ago, he was in an accident, and so he's stuck in his bed in his room, and unfortunately, the sun never shines through his window to his room. So I'm here now with this piece of glass, trying to reflect a little bit of sunlight to his room so that he may know with the sunlight in his room, or he may see how the sunlight brightens his room. So, whether you are working, whether you are retired, whether you're a stay home parent, whether you're a student, whether you're young or elderly or even bedridden, God has a purpose for you in this world. He will use your skills your talents, your good moments, your bad moments, your successes, your failures, and even the toughest times in your entire life to bring glory to himself and to be a light for people who are still walking in darkness. You are never too ordinary, never too average for God to do extraordinary things for his kingdom. The question is, really, are we willing? Are we willing to walk in the purpose that God has given us and allow him to glorify himself in our lives. So my fellow ordinary friends, how do we do this? How do we know and help those who are still in darkness? Here's a few simple things I've just listed that, that we could all do. Is that we could go the extra mile in helping our neighbors, our friends, and co-workers We can be intentional about building relationships with those that we know are not following Christ. We can invite people out to meals and get to know them or invite them in our homes to get to know them. We can invite them to our church services. We can invite them to our community groups. We can just invite them out to an event just just because. We can even offer to pray for them or even pray with them. We can be the first to apologize and make things right when there's conflict. And we can show mercy and compassion when they may be suffering and in need. And the other thing we can do is we can pray and ask God and say, "God, who is it that you've put into my life that needs to hear the gospel, that needs to see your light and your glory?" And remember, we don't do these things as if to earn God's love or to earn God's favor or to gain his affection. He already loves us. That's the good news of the gospel. But rather We do these good works because these are works that he's prepared for us so that we do them out of the gratitude of his love for us, out of the gratitude of what he's done in our lives and so that he can continue to sanctify us for his glory. So as we get ready to close out here in a moment, I just want to remind you of a couple of things. First, our stories as followers of Christ is that we were once in the darkness, but God, by his love and his grace, has revitalized our hearts and called us into his light. Secondly, God redeems our hearts so that we no longer have to walk in darkness, so that we, don't, we, can, re, we can resist the darkness, but also, more importantly, so that we can walk in the light and the victory and in his glory, not just today, but for all eternity. And lastly, God has purposed every single person in this room for his glory. Through the Holy Spirit dwelling in us, God will use us. God will use your skills, your talents, your past, your present, and your future to be a light for him in this dark world. Are we willing to allow Christ to revitalize our hearts? Are we willing to invite him into the areas of our lives that need redeeming? Are we willing to, to allow him to shine his light through us so that others may come to know his love and his glory. Would you pray with me? Father, your word, it's just so revealing. <clears throat> it's so revealing of your love for us, Lord. God, we... Like like the story of Israel, Father, we have often gone astray. We were once astray. Sometimes we even still today go astray, but Lord, you turn our hearts to you. You shine your light in our lives, and Father, you call us to you, even on our worst days as followers of Christ. Lord, as Russell uh, prayed earlier so well and As he led us in our confession so well, God, there's just things in our hearts and our lives that keep us from you. And yet, Lord, Father, your grace abounds all the more. We thank you, Jesus, for coming. We thank you for stepping out of heaven as God and stepping onto this earth as, as as a sweet baby wrapped in a manger who came with a mission, a rescue plan to die for us and raise again so that we can be raised into new life with you, Lord. Father, this Christmas season, would you focus our hearts on you as we celebrate Christmas, as we celebrate the true meaning of Christmas, will you draw our hearts closer to you? And Father, I pray if there's somebody in this room today who does not know you, that Father, you would help them. um, You would help them to come to know you, that you would help them, Father, to see that, to turn their hearts and to turn their lives to you, Jesus. Your word tells us you are the way and the truth and the life. Help us now as we worship you. In Jesus' name, amen.